Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on Off Talkle Empire, hail to the legends and the best, the champions of the East, the Michigan Wolverines. Here we are at the end of the Big Ten 2022 Summer Preview Series, and at long last, somebody won something. You wouldn't know it by how quiet they've been about it. Today on Off Tackle Empire. Your source for Big Ten talk, it's Off Tackle Empire! Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, the podcast whose conference was won in football by the Michigan Wolverines last year. Uh, I'm Steve Braun, a.k.a. Thumpasaurus. I'm with my co-host, Andrew Krzyzewski, as always, and today we welcome our Michigan contributor, Dan Reese, to the show for the first time. Uh, how are we doing? So far, so good. Doing pretty well. Um my team beat the Big Ten champions last year, so I feel fine about all of it. Actually, like I, I unsarcastically am like, good, finally, something to justify all of the hubris and bravado that normally comes from your fan base, and we still dunked on you. Aiden Hutchinson wasn't the best field team player on the field when we played. This might be the first time since I joined Off Tackle Empire that I agree with you on anything ever. <laughs> <laughs> I will gladly let your team dunk on my team every single year if I can get an Ohio State win in a conference title. It, I don't quite know that I can promise you those returns if you <laughs> lose to Michigan State every year. I'm perfectly willing to try, though, since for, until the heat death of the universe, I'm sure that'll like you will know that college football has permanently and truly died if they ever move the Michigan Ohio state game off of Thanksgiving weekend, that will be like the last final. I mean, we know, we know like we're fiddling here as Rome burns. If you're a fan of the old order of college football, but um, that'll be the thing that makes people realize, Hey, you know, it seems like there's been a lot of change. Like that's the kind of thing that would get guys like the Colin Cowherds of the world to acknowledge that, Wow, college football's really changed a lot, hasn't it? Uh, but anyway, it's you know before we get into the substance of it, it when I was starting to write the outline for this, it, it really was occurring to me that Michigan has had itself quite the offseason because in spite of beating Ohio State for the third time this century and winning the Big Ten title for the first time since 2004, I want to say, um, still all kinds of offseason storylines that had nothing to do with that. Uh, dominated by those of us who were paying closer attention by the saga with Mel Pearson and the hockey team, that came to a head basically in the face of enormous public pressure after getting a report about allegations of misconduct in the hockey program back in May and then sitting on it. Um, you know, Ward Manuel actually made comments after that that basically said, yeah, Mel Pearson's still our coach. He's going to remain our coach. 
And if you correlated that with him having the report in his hand when he said it, it suggested he wasn't planning on doing anything about it. Then MLive got a hold of the report, which I don't think was ever meant to be released to the public. And all kinds of details come out. Like we've certainly seen worse things in college athletics programs. Let's be clear about that. But still very fireable content um, referencing what had gone on with Mel Pearson's program. And then the board of trustees basically forced Ward Manuel's hand and they let Pearson go just like a week ago here in August. Not the best time to be doing an offseason search for a hockey coach. Uh, needless to say. And this is also like relative to that, the drama in the football program has been considerably less, but something that I don't think has really been getting a lot of press is the fact that coming off of that conference championship, Michigan now finds itself replacing both coordinators. One for a good reason, because Mike McDonald was such a great success that he went back to the NFL for a pro job. One for a less good reason, where Josh Gaddis was so pissed off by Harbaugh leaving to interview for the Vikings job and not keeping his assistants in the loop, that he decided to make a lateral move to Miami, a notoriously stable and, and you know calm, quiet program where a professional can do his work. So I guess we can start there. Dan, how are you feeling about the offseason moves? What, if anything, are you hearing about the new guys? And does the coaching churn concern you given that it's not exactly, I mean, again, the case of McDonald by all means home run came in for one year, absolutely proved his worth off to the NFL. The Gattis thing is different though. Is it not? Um, from what I understand, the real reason, the real reason he left wasn't that he wasn't kept in the loop. It's that he wasn't just simply gifted the head coaching job. The instant Harbaugh started interviewing elsewhere. Um, um, either, he felt that this was promised uh, or he felt that it was sort of implied. Um, it was definitely, as I understand, kind of let known in the coaching group that if you think that you're the next head coach at Michigan, you're probably not Gaddis is the next guy. Um, but uh, I don't know that the expectation that the instant Harbaugh starts looking for another job means that they will just cut him loose and instantly promote was necessarily rational. Um, yeah. That all that all, that all could be wrong, right? Like, and it might even just be that they never actually got along, and he couldn't wait to get out. And once they had a really good year, he had the resume to just go somewhere else and do um, right. Like, he could leave Michigan with a positive resume element, so that the next job builds on it instead of tries to repair it. Um, it is very so, interesting that he chose to go to Miami where Manny Diaz was quite famously convinced he was the head coach in waiting. Well, everybody said he was the head coach in waiting because Mac Brown was about to step down and then that never happened. So well, that's, that's, that's back when Diaz was at Texas to just yes. make sure everyone's on the same page there. Yeah. But it, I want, we'll see how that goes because yeah, if, if you think about what the vibe had to have been, well, Harbaugh's off pursuing the Vikings job. Yeah, I'm sure there's probably a disconnect in who's been promised what and what this contingency is for that. And the other thing is, it's a program that has always been nepotistic in terms of desiring the Michigan man to take over. And so if Jim Harbaugh had left, regardless of who he decides to try to take with him from that staff, the fact is that Josh Gaddis had to be aware all of last season that there are two other 
guys who are going to be more favored than he is in the personages of Mike Hart and Ron Bellamy, guys who are Michigan alumni, Michigan men. And even with Gaddis's high quality work, putting this offense together, I, he had to understand the nature of the institution he was working with, but in any case, plenty of other qualified young assistant coaches on staff and the offense is going to be loaded for bear. Well, before we get into that, I suppose we should run through the season. That was, I've mentioned, of course, the high point for me. Um, it doesn't have to be said that early in the season, there was some concern and I've mentioned this a few times they ran such a buttoned up run dominant offense that the question started to be posed. If they ever need to throw the ball to win the game, are they going to be able to do it? I mean, they so, so vanilla with the offensive game plans. They gave both Nebraska and Rutgers real chances to beat them. Um, I know you can look back and say, Oh, they weren't focused. They're looking ahead, man. When you're in a one score game in the second half against Rutgers, when Nebraska has the chance to beat you. And then for some reason forward progress, just isn't a thing that gets called anymore. Um, they played with fire a little bit and they got away with it such that, I mean, Michigan state was really the first game where they ended up throwing the ball a considerable amount. Cause why wouldn't you have thrown the ball against Michigan state last year? Um, but all that being said, it really, it turned out to be much ado about nothing though, because aside from that Michigan state game, which I, again, like in terms of great matchups in that series, you would really have to think about it. You, there have been games in the last, you know, 10, 15 years where both teams have been ranked but it's been often said that it's pretty unusual for both of those teams to be good at the same time, let alone top 10 at the same time. Um, the program had a national spotlight. It was a fantastic game to watch controversy as well. That helps these games have staying power. So um, aside from the Michigan state blemish though, Michigan runs the table in the conference uh, and the breakthrough against Ohio state, I imagine had to be, cathartic both for the game itself and for the first trip to Indianapolis. Yeah. Um, the Michigan state loss was crushing just right with the, with the 16 point lead We're having this awesome season. You lose, you lose to Michigan state of all people, right? Like the second most evil program in the world. And it was, yeah. Right. And, you know, I, I predicted four and eight on the season. So at this point, <laughs> it was still a win. But, yeah, slightly ahead uh, of the curve when you moved to uh, eight and one. Yeah. Yeah, right. And, um, right. But it's like, okay, so we're going to finish 10 and two. We're going to finish in third in the East. That's what we do. That's infinitely better than what I expected. The program's back on track. That's where I thought I was. Right. And then we beat Ohio state. That game cost me $600. Couldn't possibly <laughs> have been more willing to pay $600 for that loss. Um, oh yeah. And we, believe me. Uh, you're in, in Steve, you're talking to someone here on the podcast with us who is very familiar and invested in the concept of sad insurance. Well, which is, yeah. <laughs> which is actually that game, cost, your team. that that game, that Ohio state game cost me some money because I just, in, in the uh, constant doom spiral regarding post-Urban Meyer Ohio State, I put down a whole bunch of money on Ohio State to win the conference at, like, I think minus 180, figuring, like, 
hey, that's that's like a forty percent return. That's pretty much guaranteed, right? I would have. You can't. Hey, you can't, you, you can't get you can't get T bonds for that. Like, right? Never had an investment with that kind of return. So. Yeah, yeah, and I would have. Of course, you know, last night I made a whole bunch of money. Uh, when the most annoying possible thing happened to my soccer team, which is yet another one-to-one draw where they were the superior team. Yeah, although like the more I think about it, the more I'm not actually sure that was the case. I mean, they were it was pretty close to even, but City really should have. But won. it was it was a game that we really really needed, which is why I was so sure it was not only going to be a draw, but, but a one-to-one one draw, draw yeah. which is yeah. the only the, o- <laughs> the only other possible outcome was a scoreless draw. Um, we at least avoided that. I usually, every time I'm going to go to a soccer game, I will carry scoreless draw insurance just because it pays out at 12 to 14 to 1. And that's the yeah, worst yeah. thing that can possibly happen from a neutral standpoint. I hate the scoreless draw. Um, uh, although, given that, I, I reiterate my claim that I would do anything to get my hands on footage of the scoreless draw between Northwestern and Illinois football in 1978. But back to teams that win games. God, you really are a sicko. Yeah, so... <laughs> Off the Ohio State win, Michigan had no problems at all. Just steamrolling Iowa in the conference championship game. That game was over, what, five or six game time minutes in. Uh, really very much a coronation. Went off, and it got manhandled by Georgia. But look, it, that's that's a kind of team. Even So to beat Ohio State, which is one of these handful of teams that recruits far and away better than everyone else, the Stars kind of did have to align for Michigan a little bit where the the weather conditions played in Michigan's favor. Michigan had the matchup on paper where they're able to pair their all-star NFL drafty defensive ends against an offensive line that frankly had not had to face much in the way of pass rush like that this season outside of maybe Penn state. Um, and, and everything came up and also took advantage of an Ohio state defense that has played far below its talent level for a few years. Now it just hasn't mattered because their offense has been so good, but once Michigan had the pass rush to slow down that passing game, yeah, Ohio state's inability to get a couple stops sure, sure cost them, but still absolutely triumphant game in the big 10 title game. Nothing that Iowa could or was inclined to do about it. They rolled out the same pointless, predictable zone stretch based offense that they've run for the last 20 years, occasionally with some success, but certainly not last year. And then the Georgia matchup, I mean, again, it's like, I don't know what you want to make of it. Michigan's defense, which had been so good for most of the year, got scored on what the first seven drives, I think it was in that game. It was non-competitive. The score could have been worse, but Georgia kind of called the dogs off, if you'll pardon the pun. Um, And so it was kind of two things. On the one hand, by by any measure, a hugely successful season. If the goal, however, is to compete for national titles, that Georgia game did also kind of show exactly how far there is to go yet, correct? Yeah, and I don't – I mean, like we're never going to close that gap, right? There's – there is more so than ever before in college football, there's a select set of sort of alpha football factories. And you might beat one once in a while, which is what happened with Michigan and Iowa State last year. But we're not on that level. We're not going to be on that level. We can say it's the goal, but organizationally, we're not built for that. This is not, yeah, a, that- pro, this is not a pro team with a college attached. This right. is still a team that likes to think of itself as student athletes, whether or not that's true with all of them. 
Yeah, there's, right? and look, there's there's always been some fuzz around that. But look, it is true that Michigan has much tougher standards for accepting undergrad transfers than most other Division One teams do. Like that's just true. And they're also still applying. I can't pretend that I'm on the inside enough to know exactly, but clearly they're not being as aggressive in the NIL space. I mean, I think even Jawan Howard just recently had some comments where he said, you know, look, we could be doing better, which obviously was such a large and well-heeled fan base. If they were allowed to fire their endorsement money at players, that would, they'd be competitive with anybody. Um, but they're not going. Well, look at, look at the uh, EDSPS charity bowl. Oh yeah. And yeah, exactly. They, they absolutely blow everybody. Like they lap the field in that every single year. They, they win by a huge margin and then put Stony Brook in the top five just for the hell of it, because that's how much more they bring to bear to win this very worthwhile, but ultimately no trophy on the line, really. Um, money cannon charity, fight. Charity competition. It's yeah, a money cannon and, fight. Right. And again, just imagine if they were allowed to point that money at something that actually made their team better. Can you imagine how much money they could gather? So anyway, um, it, it remains to be seen. I, I can't pretend that anyone knows what the recruiting landscape is going to look like in a few years. I mean, it doesn't make sense for Michigan to keep holding on to these old school Big Ten ideals now that we went ahead and removed all pretense by adding UCLA and USC. Because the <laughs> fact is, that's where Ohio State gained the separation. By hiring Urban Meyer, they, they cast aside, you know, any claim to the contrary that they were still, you know, Traditional Big Ten will do academics. We, we, we will raise true student athletes and we'll win things the right way. No, they did the whole, um, you know, in ultimate asshole move, asshole admits he's an asshole thing. Well, I'm going to contradict you on one point there, Steve, because by adding UCLA, the Big Ten has, in fact, dealt a mortal blow to Michigan's position of self-importance in this conference because Michigan's not the best school in the, in the conference anymore. Not public or private. UCLA is the better one. By any ranking you want to look at, go ahead. It's true. It's I not. Hate, it's not any ranking, but I'll agree. It's most of them. Hate to be the Sparty who tells you this. I mean, I can barely. No, read, you so don't. I, you I, love I, to be the Sparty I, who tells us. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, Andrew hates to see it. He just I absolutely. Just, he's I he's just, literally he's literally I'm vomiting right now. I'm, I'm a shambles over it. Absolutely. Um, so to turn back, attention back to what actually happened on the field, then, as we mentioned, run dominant offense, um, but Cade McNamara was actually perfectly good as a quarterback. And if you want to say that the national championship or the, uh, playoff semi against Georgia exposed him as a quarterback with limitations, I mean, okay, how many quarterbacks were going to do anything against that defense? Um, so there's still being something made of this supposed offseason quarterback competition that's not resolved. I know they want to find a way to hold on to J.J. McCarthy, but I don't get it. Dan, help me understand how, after the season Michigan just had, Kate McNamara isn't set in stone as the starting quarterback. What am I missing here? Yeah. Help me, help um, me understand. So I don't have any inside information either. Uh, the general prevailing expectation is – Cade McNamara will win the starting job if for no other reason he is the higher floor player. Um, Jim Harbaugh is nothing if not conservative. Oh, McCarthy cost you the Michigan State game. I right? like. I hesitate to um, usually be so blunt about a player assessment like that, but two fumbles, man. 
in a oh, game yeah. that tight, like you can't have oh, yeah. it. And yeah, I mean, that's, and especially that's McNamara why, was lighting the Mexican State defense on fire. That's that's why he wasn't the starter, right? Like he is, he is so much more talented than McCarthy. It, yeah. the, excuse me, than McNamara. It's it's almost indescribable. But yeah, he was. He's only one year younger, but he plays like he's three years younger. But to answer the question, Andrew, I think really, my this is just my my this is my guess. But I I think that the theory around the Michigan fan base is that while in their then contemporary states, um, McNamara was a higher ceiling quarterback. The th- the theory was that a fully powered up, a fully leveled up. McCarthy would have won them both games that they lost had had he been allowed to to evolve into his final form and playing McNamara while it was winning them games was preventing them from winning the games they would have won with a fully powered McCarthy right I mean notwithstanding the fact that if McCarthy plays they probably lose to Rutgers and Nebraska um and Wisconsin just just, put, just pointing that out so, and, and, and Wisconsin, yeah, no, the, that's exactly. I, so I can't, I can't, yeah. I can't explain Rutgers. No one can explain what happened there. Nebraska, in our defense, Nebraska could play any team in the nation to a one loss, to a one score loss last year, and, and they, they did. They'd, <laughs> they'd have lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers by one score. <laughs> they'd have lost to my my junior high school team by one score. They uh, could yeah. lose to anybody by one score. Um, the for McCarthy, it, it's. I think that people say, well, if he was starting earlier, they would have won the later games. I think that's just nonsense. Um, he got enough run. He got better as the season went on. He looked like a guy who was a first-year quarterback and not a regular starter at, a, at Michigan State. That'll happen. It's a charged game. It's on the road. Yeah. Um, right? Like, Shit happens in football. It happens more than people want to talk about. There's less in your control. So here is something else I would ask you about it. Does does it remind you at all of Brady versus Henson? Shut up. <laughs> I had to do it to you. Dude, I had to do dude, it. Do not get me started on Brady Henson. I had to do it to you. I, we won't go down that road anymore. We'll, we'll have to keep it's, this moving. So in, in truth, it does not because it's more he comes in for a couple of plays and runs plays that are specifically designed for him yeah. as opposed to, Hey, we've got this guy who is lighting Michigan, the Michigan state, the hell up. Let's make sure we leave him on the bench next possession. Right. So, (laughs) so anyway, just had to do it to you. I couldn't help myself. Um, Well, like as much talk as there was about the quarterbacks, this uh, off season, the truth is last year, the offense was really more about, a fantastic offensive line. Although I will say, I kind of think the line that ended up putting Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo in their respective trash cans probably deserved that award in hindsight. But the Michigan offensive line was excellent. They returned four starters from, well, three starters from that group and add a transfer from Virginia, Olu Oluwatimi, who was a finalist for the Remington. So they may actually be better up front. Losing Hassan Haskins was a blow. I mean, the guy had almost 1,500 yards and 20 touchdowns, and he wasn't even getting all the carries last year. But, man, the combination of Blake Horm and Donovan Edwards should make you sweat. If you don't have linebackers or linebacker safety hybrids who can fly and cover sideline to sideline on those guys, I, the possibilities with two guys with those receiving skills and that speed 
is tantalizing. Even if you lose the between the tackles running that Haskins brought, Corum wasn't terrible that way. Like he was not getting every single yard available and then some the way Haskins did. But that's still a fine center point. And the offense gets Ronnie Bell back from injury. Eric All passed on the draft, which I thought was a weird choice because he would certainly would have been taken. And a lot of secondary receiving options that had their moments, but in a very distributed offense last year. Yeah, it's the they're returning the deepest wide receiver core I think I've ever seen at Michigan. Um, they are returning arguably the best pair of tight ends that I can remember at Michigan. Um, skill positions, they're set. The only thing that scares me is they had you know, sort of thunder and lightning at running back. Now they have lightning and lightning. And that works great if you've got a head coach who is flexible enough to say, all right, we need to be basically full-time spread now. We need to throw it 60% of the time, not 35% of the time. Yeah, and just and just like I would hope I'm that not, he's got I'm not convinced I've got that coach. It's it's possible. It is possible, but I would think like the offensive coordinator, I did they promote Matt Weiss? Is that what they ended yeah. up doing? For, yeah. Well, so it's, it's Matt Weiss and Sharon Moore. They're, oh, they're right. co the co the co-OCs thing. So yeah, because that always works well. They've both been right. I mean, as long as they're not literally splitting play calling on different downs or something, it honestly shouldn't be that big of a problem, but if they if they basically do, I'm not. I almost hesitate to make this comparison, but if you think, for example, and I'm not saying the play would look like this, but Baylor used to throw all of those like snap and throw screens, like completed in under a second and a half, basically replacing their run game with that. Yeah, I don't know that Jim Harbaugh is ever going to embrace that, but with the skill set you have with guys like Corm and Edwards, they could, and it would probably work pretty damn good. So, I mean, in a way, I'm kind of glad that maybe Harbaugh is too stubborn to do something like that. I, I think Matt Weiss in particular is smart enough and good enough that if he's left to his own devices, this offense could be really, really good. Yeah. I don't know that he'll be left to his own devices. The rumor was that if Harbaugh was going to get the Vikings job, that Weiss was supposedly the one assistant he really wanted to take with him. Correct. Or am I misremembering that? That's, I've, I heard that in one place. I've also heard in multiple other places that he's widely regarded as a, he's almost a savant, right? He's a super offensive mind, but you know, there's, there's more to it than being a super offensive mind. Oh, so yeah, we, for so sure. we don't know yeah. for certain how well he develops quarterbacks, for instance. Yeah. Because uh, he's only done it one year. But in general, like in terms of offensive design and theoretically play calling, he should be great as long as Mr. I want to run 22 personnel leaves his ham fists out of it. Right. It's, we'll see. That remains to be seen. But yeah, it's it's still like. So, and this is kind of a decent place to pivot to the defense because I will have to admit here, as I think I've been pretty good about copping to, I projected that last year was going to be kind of a tire fire for Michigan defensively. What I saw was great player in Aiden Hutchinson, great player in Dax Hill. Nobody really knew Ojabo was going to be what he was going to be. And they were running, they were shifting to a completely different pro style, you know, this amoeba thing that they run in 
uh, Baltimore, completely different from what Don Brown had run and Michigan had recruited for for years. I, I anticipated much more in the way of schematic problems. But to his credit, Mike McDonald had the common sense to not only know what he had in Agent Hutchinson, but to see what he had in David Ojabo and be like, why don't I just kind of rush these guys in, more, in a more traditional way and let them do their thing? So this year, I think we will see more if the system actually does adapt to their personnel, which again, they're still, still mostly having been recruited for what Don Brown was running. Uh, they replaced Mike McDonald with Jesse Minter, also a former Raven assistant, first time DC, I believe. No, he, I think he had a coordinator job at Vanderbilt before he came to Michigan. Um, but in any case, you know, losing Hutchinson, Ojabo, and Dax Hill, but also Chris Hinton, who had finally started to live up to his potential a little bit. Um, Josh Ross was their best linebacker. He's gone. Brad Hawkins, a good safety next to Hill. He's gone. So in addition to having your third coordinator in as many years, a lot of new personnel as well. Yeah, defense is scary. Um, they're saying all the right things in training camp. They always say all the right things in training camp. Yeah. Um, you know, the, we went from literally the best pair of defensive ends in Michigan football history when we started playing football, 1885, something like that, um, to, all right, we got a couple guys that are decent football players, right? Mike Morris is a good football player, but he's not a pass rusher, right? He's more of a, he's a, he's a classic anchor end. Yeah, like a um, three four a three four style of defensive end more. Yeah, 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 right. Like he's he's the two hundred and ninety pound defensive end. <laughs> he's not the speed rusher. Um, they don't really have a speed rusher. The best pass rusher on the team is a linebacker, and not you know a dedicated pass rush linebacker. He's a conventional will, right? That's uh, I've drawn a blank on his name. That Junior Coulson. Yeah. Um, but yeah, pass rush is going to have to come from scheme this this year. Um, and we'll see. So it's theoretically the second year in this defense, even though it's a new coordinator. Um, we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Linebackers really struggled with assignment last year. My understanding is this defense is pretty tough on linebackers cognitively. Penn state ran the ball on Michigan when they couldn't run the ball on anybody in part because their game plan was all about confuse the linebackers. And they did. And so another year in the system, another year growing older for Colson and that Kai Hill green, how much do they improve from that? That's going to be one of the biggest drivers. Yeah. The front seven slash front six, because they run a lot of base nickel as well, has decent experience, even losing what they did. I mean, it, you know, we mentioned Mike Morris, Mozzie Smith at the nose is a guy getting a lot of off season attention. Um, You'll see Chris Jenkins playing and again, more of their three-man fronts. And then Jalen Harrell is probably the first name you'll hear filling the role that Hutchinson and Ojabo did as the edge. Um, they have a couple of younger guys and also guys like Braden McGregor who have yet to play substantial roles. They will need somebody who can rush the passer. There's no question about that. Um, relying on Junior Colson to do it is a bit dangerous. Yep. The, sec the secondary should be really good though. Even losing two safeties... They have probably, well, I hesitate to say this because Minnesota's group is going to be really good. Iowa, even losing Matt Hankins, is going to be really good. But the corners Michigan has, after 
certainly taking their lumps over the last few years. DJ Turner and Jamon Green are as experienced a pair, certainly, as you will see in the conference. Um, and they add an absolute super recruit and Will Johnson to that group. You have to imagine he's going to force his way onto the field pretty quickly. Um, the safety is even behind Hawkins and Hill. They did a pretty good job rotating in um, RJ Moten and Rod Moore, who you would expect to be their every down starters there. And they have a couple other really promising freshmen in the secondary and Keon Sab and Zeke Barry that you're likely to see in at least in sub packages this year. Yeah, it's um that it, you you pretty much hit the nail on the head. They pretty much play five defensive backs, I don't know, 80% of the time. Uh, and they lost three of them. One of them was a first round pick. One of them was a three and a half year starter. Yeah. So that's going to sting a little. We're not really going to miss Vincent Gray. Um, but, <laughs> I certainly will. Uh, yeah, the, yeah the, I bet you will. <laughs> to, think, to think back to the Ricky White game, what halcyon <laughs> days those uh, were. Oh, yeah, Vincent. Um, nice kid. Don't want him on my football team. Yeah. Um, the, uh, but DJ Turnin has become – he's legit. He's a, he's a genuine player. Jamon Green is fine. He's an average Big Ten corner. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, uh, Rod, yeah. Rod Moore was was kind of surprisingly good as a true freshman safety last year. He's going to be he's going to be just fine. Um, the other interesting that, thing questions. is uh, is that they moved Mike Sainristel over basically to play nickel, play in the slot on defense. That tells and, you everything you need to know about how they feel about their depth at corner. And about their depth at receiver, frankly, also, because also he's, he is a guy who I know has gotten a ton of pub and talking up from the coaching staff, not consistently playing a huge role as a receiver. But again, like since Nico Collins, really, there hasn't been a clear number one receiver. I mean, I guess you could say Ronnie Bell probably would have been that last year. It, and maybe it, it'll end up being that way this year. But because the way the targets are spread around so much, they have so many options at receiver felt comfortable moving St. Ristol over to the corner or to the defense. Yeah. Bell certainly would have been that guy last year. Um, but with all the other players getting a full season without him vacuuming all the, all the footballs. Yeah. Um, now it'll be a little more distributed this year. Uh, very, very deep at wide receiver. St. Ristol has the physical tools to be a corner, especially a slot corner. He's was always more quick than fast. Yeah. Um, Right. He's very, very sudden. He's a heady football player. Right. He's a he's a fan favorite. He's one of those guys. He's, you know, he was the 15th rank ranked recruit in Michigan's class that year. But he's the guy that all the fans love. Because when yeah. he catches a ball, it's a first down. Right? And then like he's one of those and, guys. And then an underrated aspect of Michigan's returning depth is that they return Brad Robbins at the, at the punter and Jake Moody, the girls award-winning kicker. So probably the best kicking situation in the conference by a considerable margin. Um, I, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe we got either of them back to say nothing of both of them back. Yeah. Uh, I, I have to, either of them would likely have found at least a free agent signing, if not been one of the handful of specialists who were drafted. So um, pretty good. And so what you'll notice here is other than the secondary where they've got enough turnover and a few really talented kids you may not see a whole lot in the way like 
if you look across their offense, for example, I don't know that they play any freshmen. Like they may get a few carries for a CJ Stokes or whatever. They have a three man receiver class that they supposedly are really high on, but it's like, well, all right, they've got five or six wide receivers who need snaps ahead of them that have already kind of proven something. Um, defensively, you can see a little more, maybe a couple of these defensive linemen, like a Derek Moore or a Mason Graham will figure into the rotation. They did also pick up Cam Good, a transfer from UCF. And so overall, again, a very good recruiting class, but particularly on offense, you just don't see a whole lot of openings that they're going to need to play guys. Um, They're more likely to rotate, especially the defensive linemen and and sub packages to give their starters a rest. And then the defensive backs, I think it could well just be a case of them being too good to keep off the field. but yeah, it's uh, it's a very good recruiting class, but just not one that they're going to need a whole lot of immediate contribution from. No, that's uh, that's exactly it. I agree with pretty much everything that you just said. The a few wide receivers might get a few snaps in the preseason. That's it for offense. Defense, you'll get some rotation on the on the defensive line, and some of the defensive backs might play because they're just that good. But well, particularly Will Campbell. Um, I think there's decent chance he'll start by mid-season but uh but yeah this is not this is not a team that's going to play a lot of freshmen yeah especially on offense so turning then to the schedule um the non-con not exactly challenging ourselves all that much now are we um (laughs) hawaii yukon and colorado state so, so, so Michigan never used to do this. So the only thing I can guess is a home and home fell through from somebody from somebody. Yeah, yeah very possible. Um, but you're right. Like it's it's dead. It's dead next year too. Well, and then and the thing is, after that non-con, um, they have a fourth home game with Maryland, which you know their passing game will certainly be much more menacing than anything you see in the first three games. But still, kind of. It, that's going to be a game where if Michigan doesn't get five or six rushing touchdowns, it'll be a surprise. Um, and then they do take a road trip, but it's to an Iowa team. You just pasted 42 to three and then to Indiana, which had to reset both of their coordinators is coming off a hugely disappointing season and is breaking in a new quarterback themselves. I'll be at a guy with a lot of experience um, from Missouri previously. So in addition to the easy non-con, probably the two, well, depending on what you think of Rutgers. And again, I don't think they're going to be as good as they were last year. So probably the two easiest conference games up front. And then the beat drops after that, because after the Indiana road trip, you have Penn state and then a bye, and then Michigan state. So, I mean, really it's set up pretty well to start the season work out whatever kinks you have in, you know, replacing a pass rush, um, maybe solidifying those new starters on the offensive line of one guy struggles, maybe we replace him. Um, Seeing how your defense adjusts to life after a handful of really talented players. And then you get the Penn state and Michigan state offenses. And by then Sean Clifford very well could be hurt again. So Penn state might not be much of a challenging game. It kind of depends if he's healthy, they're pretty damn good. He's not healthy very much. Um, Michigan State, after the result in 2020, I will never again say that MSU doesn't have a chance in that game, although I think we do have a lot more questions this offseason than you do. Um, 
but that's still that mid-October, late October. That'll be where you find out if Michigan is for real or if it's just been a function of a pretty easy schedule to that point. Yeah, no, that's fair. And it's a bit how last year went work too. Uh, Maryland and Penn State are the two teams you want to play late in the season. Maryland always comes out 100 miles an hour. And (laughs) then around game five or so, they remember they're not good. I suppose that could be said that you may well be getting September Maryland, which is... You don't want want September Maryland. You don't want Maryland before (laughs) they get all broken. Yeah, it's like the um, it's the opposite of September Northwestern, basically. Yes, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's yeah, that's you know, it. That's absolutely going to be the game where Maryland comes in three and zero, and it's like, oh, is Maryland for real? And then it's going to quickly be answered within about five they, minutes of kickoff. And they're going to throw like four consecutive interceptions, and it'll be over by the first commercial break. Yeah, it, <laughs> that's probably what's going to happen there. That that sounds lovely. I'll I'll sign up for that now. Thanks. Yeah. Um, after the Michigan State game, the schedule does then immediately ease up again. Road trips in Rutgers, and then Nebraska and Illinois. Although I will say. And I've mentioned this as many times as I can to, again, I'm all about accountability here. I did pick Nebraska to win the West because it it just, they're the most talented team in that division by a mile. And the stuff that happened last year can't keep happening. It can't. Although as Stu Monkey told me, told us last week on the Iowa preview, well, yes, of course it can and it should. Uh, so anyway, here's the, here's the thing. It doesn't matter how good Nebraska is. It doesn't matter how good Purdue is. The fact is the only team that it is allowed to win the big 10 West is a true big 10 West football team, which right. means we're talking about Iowa, Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin, Illinois is in the mix. Um, yep. Northwestern, uh, they they certainly look shitty enough at passing to be the part. Yeah, but what it is is Purdue is too fun, so they can't win the West. And Nebraska is is still like they're they're running all the time is too weird because it's not zone or ISO. It's a different kind of running all the time, so it's different and bad. And, and they it's also not either. meant to eat up the clock. It's meant to like yeah, it's meant know, to score points, yeah, which, is rid- to, which is ridiculous. Yeah, which is ridiculous. They do some really creative stuff on offense. Like it pains me to give Nebraska credit for anything at all because, you know, well, I, was in Frost, co- I was in the college in the early 90s. I, but, but Scott Frost is such a tool about it, man. It's like <laughs> your your team should be good and fun to watch, but, man, yeah. he's done a pretty good job of keeping quiet this offseason, but probably because even he understands he's coaching for his job. So They were top 25, weren't they, in FEI? Probably all the advanced stats said they were good. The eye test told you they they were good and they just were top 20 in S and P plus at the very least. And absolutely undefeated and finding ways to shoot their own dick off (laughs) just every week. That was, was absolutely there, but it's so they're scary because they don't have to change very much to become an actually good football team. But I'm going to tell you something that's going to make you terrified of that Illinois game on November 19th. I live around here. I live, you know, about an hour from Ann Arbor, and I'm so fully checked out that I will be in Las Vegas watching Illinois basketball. That's right. After all these years, I finally became one of those guys. <laughs> okay. And, and now that now that I've now that I've abandoned them, 
they're going to go to the they're going to go to the big house and win. Yeah, that's yep. entirely. <laughs> yep. So you should be terrified by you that should specific be, little factoid. You should be offering Steve a ticket to that game if you want to see Michigan. In, I was actually in Ann Arbor watching Denzel Washington in American Gangster when they beat number one Ohio State on the road back in two thousand seven. <laughs> But it was a lost cause. Why? Why should we watch this? That, I, I do that all the time. I don't remember the last time I watched Michigan play a real opponent. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not fit to be around when we're playing Rutgers and up by 60. I'm still throwing shit and yelling at the screen. There's, when we play a real team, it takes years off my life. So, yeah, I don't. I just don't. Yeah, um, I'm always down to... I'm always down to watch Illinois suffer a heartbreaking loss, <coughs> like the 63 point losses that I'm not really down to, you know, it's like, it was a waste of my time anyway. Um, no, but in all seriousness, if you can beat Iowa on the road, you can beat diet Iowa at home. Yeah. But well, it, in terms of the count, like uh, I, I'm telling you, I know this is not you, but I'm telling you these people exist and there's a not insignificant number of them of the Michigan fan who thinks that beating Ohio state last year is going to change everything. And now oh they've got God. the upper hand. And man, if you look at the Vegas betting odds, you will know that that's not true because there, Vegas doesn't fuck it up. They always it, know. It Ohio doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter how good your school is. Some of your fans are stupid. Um, there's yeah, there's, yeah. of course it didn't turn a corner. All it did is relieve a little pressure. We yeah, are still, sure. yeah, we're still sure. a good football program. Yes. They're still an alpha football factory. Yeah. And those things haven't changed. And they reacted to losing one conference game in Ryan Day's tenure by cleaning out their entire defensive staff and a couple other guys on offense as well. I just, like, again, the odds that their new defensive coordinator, who was great at Oklahoma State, is anywhere near the disaster they've had the last few years at DC is like, it's just not going to happen. Uh, yeah, most likely by the by the end of the season, they will have their defense in order. So they're, they're, that that program is so preposterously talented; it's just stupid. Um, oh yeah, and I and like again, that, we just you know we previewed them a couple weeks ago. I had to look at their recruiting class; it's gross. I it, it's it takes all the fun out of it, man. I'm like, this is not. I don't even. Want, I don't want to know all dude, this. I, like, I, I did I'm my happy. best. I did my best to get into the mind of like. I'm an Ohio State fan, but I'm super mad about not seeing a, a national title in years. You know, just to try to poke some holes in. Yeah, but look at all these recruits that they lost to Nick Saban recently. And it's just like, well, they'll just go and take Penn State's recruiting class. Like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that, they only take Penn State's recruiting class when they're slumming, right? They start yeah. by taking yeah, LSU's yeah. Recru recruiting yeah, they'll, class. They'll, right. be, they'll be forced to take <laughs> Penn State's class. They'll be forced to poach guys from merely a top 10 recruiting class yeah. instead of number two or three. Yeah. Or anyway. like, Hey, Hey, did you, did you guys recently receive a commitment from an absolute program changing recruit guy? There's going to be a statue up of. Yeah. Come on. He'll transfer to Ohio state and spend a couple years on the bench before kind of getting lost in the weeds of college football. Yeah. 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 And uh, then he'll transfer somewhere else and become God because he really was always that good. And he really was always not good enough to play there. Oh, Jamison um, Williams, I, right. <laughs> one of the best receivers in the country, couldn't play in Ohio State. Like Mich yeah. Michigan is, I don't know, somewhere between second and fourth, probably most talented team in the Big Ten right now. Yeah, it, and I'd the have, gap. I'd have, I'd have to look at attrition. It's always Michigan and Penn State two, three, and then Nebraska is usually number four, and then after yeah, that, it you know, it's like a little the, bit of a melange. The gap between us and Ohio State. And I don't mean in terms of recruiting rankings. I mean in terms of actual talent. That's in, that's impossible to truly measure. Is probably greater 
than the gap between Michigan and Rutgers. They are that far higher than any of us. I hesitate to quite say that, but that's only because I've really the bloom has really come off of Shiano this offseason for me. We'll see. This is going to be an interesting season for them, too. But anyway, we could meander all around forever. But I think at some point in the interest of keeping it to a listenable length, we're going to have <laughs> to we're going to. Ha- oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we're not really out that far out of line yet. Um, for what we usually do if, if the people who are listening to us and you are a strange and eclectic bunch but we love you dearly um, know very well that they're getting somewhere between an hour and an hour and a half of mostly me rambling and a little bit of you guys rambling also so they know what they're in for and somehow they're still coming back and again we love them for it uh, so we're gonna have to talk basketball now and I'm sorry yeah, well, I mean, it's going to be kind of fun for me because yeah. um, <laughs> even given even given what a disappointment Michigan State was last year, um, my, my, my connection's breaking up. I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm not the, sure I can, can stay on this call. I, I hear the sound of a candy wrapper being crinkled on your <laughs> mic. That's very, if you could try to correct that. Um, so for the second year in a row, Juwan Howard's Michigan team is going to look extremely different. Ton of turnover on the roster. Um, some of those guys they will miss. Eli Brooks was always much more important to the team than his actual talent on the court. Um, Devontae Jones, they brought in from Coastal Carolina, basically trying to repeat the Mike Smith thing from the year before. It didn't really work as well. Um, Jones really struggled with his outside shot. He's basically He could have played again this year, but he's passing on that. Actually, I just read today that he and Aaron Henry – are playing on the same French team with Victor Wembanyama, who's this seven foot five, like going to be the number one pick in next year's draft class. So, if you're really truly into the deep cuts of basketball, find you some of that French league, and you can watch again a, a Michigan guy and a Michigan State guy playing with this absolute uber prospect. It's going to be weird. Andrew, I've ever seen this picture that somebody uploaded from the wine section of a store that says miscellaneous eastern european whites and it's categorized <laughs> as the second round of the nba draft <laughs> well I, I if unless i'm mistaken i believe i don't know if Wembanyama is originally french or if he's like cameroonian or yes, Senegalese. he definitely doesn't fit that bill it's just when you yeah. talked about going deep into the weeds of european basketball that's what i was thinking yeah, yeah. about Go yeah, to that for sure. section at your wine shop. <laughs> Miscellaneous European whites, Miscellaneous right? Miscellaneous Eastern European whites. Um, they had a couple other losses. You know, Brandon Johns, a guy who always felt like he could have been that dynamic breakout stretch four type slash five, um, spending his last year somewhere else. Um, Zeb Jackson, after some real weirdness, some kind of invasive weirdness, his status wasn't really clear. He transferred to VCU. And then in kind of a surprising move, Frankie Collins is going to head off to Arizona State after being the backup point guard as a freshman last year. Um, and then a couple of draft defections as well. Musa um, Diabate and Caleb Houston are both gone, guys who were five-star, top 25 type recruits last year. So if you're counting, that would be seven of the 10 players who played at least five minutes a night gone from last year. Um, silver lining. One of those three guys that's coming back uh, is Hunter Dickinson. And if you have to have a player, one returning cornerstone to build your team around in college basketball, Dickinson is probably that kind of guy. Um, Perfectly effective, even with a very different team around him, um, scoring about 18 a game, eight and a half rebounds, played over 32 minutes a game, 
Um, so managed to stay out of foul trouble for the most part. And then he's got, he's kind of like Trace Jackson Davis at Indiana. He has a major defect in his game that's going to turn the NBA off. And that is he is terrible out on the defense, on the defensive perimeter, covering ball screens and moving laterally. And I don't know how much that can improve. So you might actually get him for four years. Um, and then as far as his different efficiency goes, it's pretty easy to see. I mean, Michigan's shooting fell off a cliff because of the guys they lost from their team two years ago. So it's this is not complicated, really. Um, if they find better shooting around him this year, he's probably going to be as efficient, if not more, than he was as a freshman, and the team will be better. If they don't find shooting, teams will continue to collapse on him, invite Michigan's guys to shoot up as many bricks as they want, and you know the ceiling is going to be kind of lower. Yeah, it, it turns out that senior leadership matters. Yeah. Particularly in, in small teams. Um, Isaiah Livers was one of the better leaders Michigan's ever had. Right. He was he was a leader of that team when he was a freshman. Um, yeah. when he left, um, you know, like you said, there were shooting problems. There's all kinds of sort of technical problems with the team, but ultimately it was just a box of Legos that nobody assembled. Yeah. into a team and this year i expect more or less the same so i'll bet against michigan a lot and i'll get rich we'll see about that so the other two guys they have coming back who really played at all last year would be um wing kobe buffkin he was a top 100 recruit pretty well-regarded player and terrence williams who's basically like a 3-4 combo a little bit bigger i wouldn't describe him as a wing but he's not a post player either um, they're going to need huge steps forward from those guys. Buffkin was only a freshman last year, so that's not unreasonable to expect. Um, they do add Jalen Llewellyn from Princeton as a transfer, and basically him transferring in like immediately prompted Collins to transfer out, which I was confused by because I didn't think Llewellyn would have come in as a point guard, but he's got to be the point now. <laughs> Yeah, he I don't, doesn't have anybody else. I don't think anybody thought he was going to be a point guard. Um, it was such a weird. It was so weird. I don't know. It, like, it's very strange. There's all those transfers suggest there's something else wrong in the program. Um, I don't know what it is. I haven't heard anything, but well, it's Zeb, not a good sign. Yeah, that Zeb Jackson couldn't crack the playing rotation, even with the short bench of wings and guards that they had last year. Definitely suggested that he was in the doghouse for something. Again, I don't know what happened there. Um, but Collins choosing to leave, I mean, even if Llewellyn was the full-time point guard, it's like, all right, so is he going to play 40 minutes a game and is Buffkin going to play 40 at the two? Because uh, unless that happens, there's still going to be plenty of minutes to go around. I just, anyway, it was weird. Well, um, a couple of things I can say about that is that one, uh, if Llewellyn ends up getting that many minutes, it's going to be really funny if they pick up their fourth L of the year before the end of the calendar year, <laughs> um, given just his last name. But the other thing is that we, we kind of talked about last year, we talked about John Howard maybe running, I guess, what you might call a more modern program that, that really kind of recognizes that this is just kind of pre-NBA free agency. Well, you know what happens to the NBA is players move around a lot. The players demand to be traded at the after signing a quarter billion dollar contract. Like, yeah, that just kind of happens. Um, they do have a couple of other kind of long shots to contribute this year. Um, Isaiah Barnes was a wing who's going to be a sophomore. They got very little out of him, but he was a top 120 recruit in the country. Um, they had another project stretch for that they redshirted last year, Will Shedder, who 
could be it, basically he his recruiting profile will remind you of every Wisconsin big in the Bo Ryan era. <laughs> um just a big gumpy guy it's like oh crap he's hitting 43 percent from three like that's the kind of guy he could be but again like his recruiting profile does not suggest that he is that for sure like he's a little bit of a flyer um but that being said i mean the silver lining of the way that juan is putting this program together is they do have another great recruiting class so another bunch of dynamic freshmen to watch um his own son, Jet Howard, is going to be the headliner, I would think. He could, he's probably going to be starting on the wing right away. And then Terrace Reed, who represents Howard's first head to head recruiting win over Tom Izzo, a player Michigan State really could have used this year. Um, composite number 35. Those two guys are going to be the headliners. Um, I will also say that Frankie Collins transferring could put a lot of pressure on Doug McDaniel to be ready to play right away at the point. So those are the three guys you're likely to see right away. All five so what, foot eight, a, all five foot eight inches you, of him. As a prospect, would you say then that you maybe don't dig Doug as much as you know oh. you would have somebody else? <laughs> really, 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 you were interrupting me for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the that's the kind of thing that you can't hold him back for. He he will. Yeah, yeah. That's um, will see i mean i don't i don't have a strong opinion here except that hey if they turn out to be good i will watch them occasionally and if they don't i will forget they exist because i'm a michigan football fan and that's how we work sure so could we and look again that's how we work when we are actually a bad football team so yeah my question Um, is could we be heading into a season with the highest number of coach sons on active rosters uh that we've seen maybe ever because how many McCaffreys do we have at this point? Two. Um, Tom Izzo's kid is still on the team. We did lose Fred Hoiberg's kid from our bench mob before last season. Um, Tyler Underwood's been is, gone for a couple of years. Although, yeah. Although he'll never really go away. He's just on the payroll now. because. <laughs> uh and Howard's got two kids on the team now. So I think by numbers, yes, it is. Because McCaffrey and Howard both have two sons plus Steven Izzo, that gives us five. I'm not directly aware of any others. That's uh, still a lot. Five Five is a lot. Five is a lot at one time, yes. Um, but it looked as, as we've, as is now becoming kind of our um, gospel every week with these basketball previews, the Big Ten is going to be a pretty wide open conference. Everyone seems to think Indiana's the likely front runner. I'll believe it when I see it with a roster that still can't shoot. Um, but I will say, you know, it's in terms of roster construction, Juwan is plainly kind of taking like a John Calipari light approach in grabbing a ton of talented guys, knowing that a good number of them are going to leave after a year. And then he just brings more in and kind of rolls the dice again and sees how that group, um, gets together. And I mean, it means you're going to have a lot of talented, entertaining players to watch, but even with Kentucky's resources, Calipari does only have the one national title in over in what, 11, 12 years he's been there now. Um, it, it's a so, tough way to win. And it's a yeah. very tough way to win in a deep conference. And if you do that and don't win, nobody cares about your team because it's not interesting. Right. Oh, and it's how like, you, how about if you do that? Hire away Illinois' entire coaching staff uh, because they were so good at recruiting and they were some of your former guys, and then immediately lose a two fifteen game in the NCAA tournament. I can't imagine that happening. That seems inconceivable. <laughs> and then, and then you choose to follow that up 
by beefing with your school's most successful football coach since Bear Bryant, who was also chased off by a domineering basketball coach. It couldn't be me. So anyway, uh, that'll bring us more or less to the conclusion of Michigan Week and the conclusion of B1G 2022. By the time this episode posts, we'll be barely a week away from the start of the season. The leaves are not beginning to change. That doesn't really happen here until November now. Um, but anyway, Dan, we thank you for joining us. Any closing thoughts before we wrap up? Three and nine. <laughs> Under promise and over three, deliver. Three and, and, you will, and you will never be disappointed. <laughs> I was serious about four and eight last year, but it worked pretty well. So three and nine. So you're very serious about three and nine. Crap, that means Michigan's winning the national title. Well, as long as it, I'll trade you that for Michigan State beating them nonetheless. So deal. <laughs> all right. So thank you all for listening. This has once again been Off Tackle Empire, and we thank you for joining us. Thank you, guys. Oh, you didn't let me get a Terrence Shannon Jr. dig in. See you next week. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire.